Psalm 119, if you have your Bible with you, if you looked at Psalm 119, and I thought uh, we kind of did an introductory piece, and we, we spent a few weeks, we looked not just at Psalm 1 and 2, but some um, information about the Psalms themselves and what God is doing through the Psalms, how we can get stuff out of the Psalms, how we can learn from the Psalms. It is, it is, uh, such, it is, such, a, it is, it is such a rich book. You kind of need that instruction to help you know how to suck things out of it. And so there's, in certain sense, I don't know, a physics to the book of Psalms, say spiritual physics, um, that, that, that we wanted to let you in on. So we did that, and, um, and did that in the first uh, few weeks together, made it through Psalm 1 and 2, and um, I, will, I want you to also get a, get a finger in Psalm 1, because I am going to make a segue from Psalm 1, build a bridge to Psalm 119, where we're going to start at tonight. Uh, and we will build that bridge, but we, we went through and we saw some things from Psalm 1 and Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 2, and that kind of laid the foundation of what, what you can expect to see in the Psalms as a whole. So the um, thesis for the study tonight is that if you want to obey the Word of God in, in, in life, you've got to hide it in your heart. If this is God, if there is only one God in all of heaven, and if this is his word to us, the only way for you to really apply it is to, as we say, hide it in your heart. Well, you know, I think that means a couple of things. Number one, that means you've got to be going through it consistently enough keep going through it in such a way and consistently enough that, that, that you're constantly being saturated with it, uh, but also uh, maybe doing what our Awana kids are doing this evening because that's kind of what Awana is and that's what we do with, with your children in Awana is they learn Scripture, they memorize Scripture, they hide it in their heart. And uh, as Brian, I think, mentioned, the, uh, somebody mentioned, who mentioned this? I forget, uh, last, yesterday, last night. I think it was last night, we had an appreciation dinner for all the children's helpers and workers and learning assistants and everything else. So not just uh, Harvest Kids, but also Awana and Sunday Night Stars and, and, and Junior Choir and everything. And, and with Awana, it's, it's like a miniature um, Bible Institute. You even come away with a degree. It's called the Timothy Award. Uh, you know, when you get to the end, you've memorized, you've gone through all these books and you've memorized these verses and you've got to hide it in your heart if you really want to be able to apply it in your life and, and see it work out of your life because you are giving heed to it. You know what it says and you're following what it says. So that's our thesis that we're going to pull out of these first eight verses. Uh, Psalm 119 itself is kind of a mosaic arranged around the central theme of getting a blessing from the Bible. After all, if God is a spiritual being and we are physically limited, our soul, our spiritual part, our soul and spirit is inside this physical body. God is entirely spiritual. We are spirits in, in physical then we've got to have some contact with him. And the contact he makes with us is through the word of God. We've got to get our blessing from the things that we find in the Bible, from the things that he says. So 
So I will say that Psalm 119 is really an exploded diagram of Psalm 1 verse 2. Look, look at verse 2. Who is it Psalm 1 verse 2 that will stand up and read in their playground voice verse 2 of Psalm 1? Okay, Wes. Yep, that's it. Thank you. His delights in the law of the Lord. Day and night he's meditating in God's law and God's word. Uh, law is one of the ten synonyms that we're going to find in this psalm for the word of God itself, and he's meditating in that. And you know, a lot of a lot of uh, you know, again, this just comparative religions. A lot of the religions meditations has has to do with emptying your mind of stuff, getting get, you know, not giving any acknowledgement to a cognitive process, and biblical meditation is exactly the opposite, because it is fastening your thoughts on the mind of God itself. It is fastening your thinking on the actual words that God is speaking, and you're, and you're ruminating on that, and you are, you know, you are like a cattle. Okay, I didn't call you a cow, but you, but, you know, cattle have five stomachs. And progressively, so, you know, they'll eat, they'll graze, and they'll eat something, it goes to stomach number one. Spends a little while there, comes back up, and then they chew, that cuts some more, goes stomach, I got, you know, it goes down, okay. That's kind of the way you almost have to approach the Word of God, to get them, get what you need to get out of it. So you're, so it's not like it's one and done. And you are reading it, and then you're, medit- you're thinking about it, and then you're going, now what did then? You're going back to that, and it's like, oh, but what if I looked at it this way? What if I emphasize that word instead of this one? What comes out of it then? And so this is the tree of life, I think. Psalm 119 is like the tree of life that grows out of the seed of Psalm 1. So the Bible should be your infallible counselor in every part Every possible need that you have in your heart or in any circumstance in life. So let me, uh, with, with uh, Psalm 119, and this is uh, also uh, what you can, can expect me to do with every one of these psalms. Since the thing that makes God God is he's past, present, and future all at once. He is the divine personality who's not only our creator, but he stands outside of space-time because he created space-time, which means um, we exist in past, present, and think about the future, but all of that is the same to him. I mean, it's all an immediate thing because of God. Now, one way that I will say we know that the Bible is the Word of God is because it bears that fingerprint of His. Now, I know that I can take a Bible and I can tear it up and I can't tear up God, and I can throw it in a fire and I can burn it and I can't burn God. I understand that. But the Word of God itself is past, present, future all at once, which means that every passage, every chapter, every verse has a past historical application. It has a present inspirational application, devotional application for your life. It also has a future doctrinal or prophetic application 
and all three exist at the same time. So when I begin to look at Psalm 119, let me start with the historical. Historically, this is David's testimony to the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible as a handbook for life. Because that's what God do. Okay, that's what God do. He, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't just make you like the deists used to think, you know, kind of wind up the world like a clock and then walk away and just let it run. He doesn't do that. No, I mean, he created you, also gave you a handbook on how to live your life. So the setting of Psalm 119, historically, I'm going to say is similar to our own times. Why? Because it was a time of skepticism of biblical authority. For the nation of Israel, it was a time of apathy toward responsibility, their responsibility (coughs) toward God, and an indifference to the call of God. You see all of that. Now, I'm taking David as the author of this psalm, and you see all of that in David's life. I mean, let's, let's, let's take just from the first moment he appears on the scene in 1 Samuel 16. And here he comes up, and he shows up, and he's bringing some bread and cheese and whatever, uh, you know, uh, uh, give some to the leader of the battalion that his brothers are in and take some to his brothers. And so he's up there, you know, delivering all that. And all of a sudden, Goliath comes out and defies the God of Israel, who is the God who created Goliath. And David's like, who is this guy that thinks he can get up and defy the armies of God? And his brothers are like, well... He's the nine-foot-tall dude. He's the nine-foot-tall dude who has a, a spear that is twice as tall as you, uh, who has a breastplate that would swallow you up, who has a helmet on his head heavier than you can carry. Uh, that is the guy that is defying the God of Israel. And David's like, well, wait, no, hold it. I mean... The God, God, God who created, God, that God is on our side. He gave us certain promises. Why does that not make you bold to step out? So they were doubting biblical authority. They're not going to follow through on what the Bible says. They, they, they were, uh, they were ap- apathetic toward their responsibility. You know, step out. Let's get this party started. Let's get this battle going because we have a promise we can win. Don't, the Philistines are not going to get over on us. We're going to get over on them. So there was apathy and there was an indifference. Because really, Goliath standing, you know, anytime you've got a Goliath in your life that is stepping out and challenging you, particularly what you can do in your faith, that's a call of God for you to step up. And start exhibiting your faith. So, uh, setting, I'm going to say, very similar to our times, historically. Uh, the people were unstable. They were changeable. They were changing very quickly. Their attention span was short. Hello, somebody. They were jumping from one fed to another. So every month, it's a different, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. It's a different psychological fad. It's a different... 
you know, thing that's going to make you well or get you happy or, um, you know, pay all your bills or, you know, I, I don't know what. There's, there's apathy, there's indifference, there's fickleness toward fads. There are conspiracies and all of those things are characteristics of our day. But Psalm 119 is a life balancer. So that's what we're going to see. That's why I'm going to, you know, I thought, let's jump ahead. Psalm 119. Let's spend a few weeks there now because this is a hard time. Holidays are a hard time for everybody. And we got to get ourselves ready for the beginning of the year and everything God's going to do. So let's get a life balancer uh, uh, working right now. So historically, that is this psalm. Prophetically, this psalm is taught is Messiah's testimony to the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God as a handbook for your life. It is Jesus' own testimony about what the Word of God will do for you. Inspirationally, this psalm is what should be your testimony and your witness to the sufficiency of the Bible, again, as a handbook for your life. So uh, turn to uh, turn to turn to uh, turn to verse sixty-five of Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen, verse sixty-five. When we were giving kind of introductions to Psalms, we talked about one way you learn from the Psalms is because certain of the Psalms are acrostics. This is an acrostic Psalm. So the twenty-two letters of the Hebrew alphabet are what form the twenty-two stanzas of Psalm one nineteen. So Psalm 119, eight verses for each letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So eight times 22 must be 176. That's how many verses there are. See, I'm no good at math, but, but I can read you the bottom line. And, and so it must be, it must be 176. And, and so, so Psalm 119 is like one Psalm in 22 parts. Now check this, because the very next Psalm... Psalm 20 through Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, those 15 Psalms, if you have a King James Bible and maybe some others, uh, in the superscription to the Psalm, before any one of those Psalms starts, it'll say that it is one of the songs of degrees. So, Psalm 119, one Psalm in 22 parts. Then immediately following that, Psalm 120 to 134 are 15 psalms in one part because they all form the songs of degrees and and they're kind of like the discipleship lessons of the Old Testament. I don't know, maybe we'll go there next. But back here in Psalm 119 at verse 65, every stanza has eight verses. Each verse begins with the particular letter at the head of that stanza, so like in, you know, I, I can't speak for other Bibles, but I know in most King James Bibles, you've got the actual Hebrew letter listed there and the transliteration of that letter. And so each stanza is an octave. So there's eight verses. And so it's kind of organized like middle C and, and high C are both... The, the note C, because the number eight 
in biblical numerology, the number eight is the number of new beginnings. So it's, it's the same note, just an octave higher. Now, Brian could explain that better than me, and many of the rest of you could also, so let me move on. Uh, verse, uh, verse, one, verse 65. This is what I will call a classical conversation on Scripture. There's, there's a group that uh, we allow to use uh, the church on Mondays. So every Monday they kind of absorb all of the church, and it's called Classical Conversations. It's a homeschool group. And so for people who homeschool their children, they're able to bring them here all at once on that day. And they've got, I don't know what they've got. They've got, well, they've got Latin. They teach Latin. Whatever grade your kid is in, he will learn Latin. Uh, it's just part of the philosophy of education that they use. But they'll have gym time and they'll have, uh, um, uh, uh, so they got athletics, they got art, they got all the things that are difficult to teach as someone who might be homeschooling their child as a parent, uh, they can bring them up here on the Mondays and they teach them here. And it's called Classical Conversations. I spoke at their um, the, the uh, opening convention uh, that they had one year. And um, so they, they use our building now on Mondays, and that's fine. This is kind of a classical conversation on Scripture we're having right now. Uh, because what I will point out to you that you, you can be able to do, verse 67... If you changed, if you, if you thought of the word before as the word till, so, so till I was afflicted, and in verse 71, if you did a contraction of the two words it is to the word tis, tis good for me that I've been afflicted, well then you would see what this is saying. So at the head of this section, the Hebrew letter is teth. So every one of these verses starts with that letter, just like if we, you know, thought of those two adjustments, every, the first word of every one of the verses would start with T. Verse 65, thou hast dealt with, well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Verse 66, teach me good judgments and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. Verse 67, till I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 68, thou art good and doest good, teach me thy statutes. Verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. 70, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. 71, tis good for me. I've been afflicted, I might learn thy statutes. 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. So my point is this. The point is this. Your life may be dysfunctional and in disarray, disarray, but God is not. Your life may may be a mess. God ain't a mess. You know, what what you are seeing of what's going on, you, you don't understand the pattern, and it looks random to you. But God has his plan. It's not that way to God. And that is why he gives us his word. And that is why we need to listen to him. So this is kind of the key thought. Watch. Um, Three things. One flows into another. Principle, practice, and power. Principle, practice, and power. Number one, start with Bible principles. 
principalize the Bible. Take the promises, believe the promises, and principalize the Bible. It's, it says something. It says something uh, specific. It makes propositions to be believed, to be understood, and to be followed. So begin with Bible principles. Begin there. Don't begin with how you feel. Don't begin with your past. Don't begin with the trauma. Don't begin with, don't begin with any of that. Begin with the Bible. Number two, living by faith. Having a living faith. In other words, now the belief is actually received by you. Well, living faith requires action. So the principle obeyed will always result in practice. Same thing said, you know, same things James said. That tough brother James in the book of James in the New Testament, faith without works is dead. Well, because living faith always works. And and so, okay, if you've if you actually receive what is being principalized and said, then that's always going to result in a change in practice, a practice that is a conformity to what's said, because that's an expression of your faith. And the reason you change your mind and convert and change what you are doing is because now you are actually believing God is going to follow through on what he said he would do. And since he follows through, number three, practice, prince, practiced principles always award you with his power. Now that is how the word of God does the work. And whenever I use that phrase, that the word of God will do the work for you, that is what I mean by that. So the word of God will do the work is shorthand for, for these three things. And so Psalm 119 is to the rest of the book of Psalms like the moon is to stars in the night. Um, why do I say that? Because Psalm 119 is 11 times longer than the length of the average psalm in the book of Psalms. So I think at the very beginning, we'd given you some figures. And one of the figures we gave you that there are uh, 2,461 verses in the 150 psalms. So average that out. And that means, well, the average length of a psalm is 16.4 verses. But Psalm 119 is 176 verses. So, so this is all of David's spoil. I mean, this is, this is everything David accumulated in his life of walking with God. Uh, Matthew Henry, one of the old commentators, says that just like Solomon's Proverbs, this psalm is a chest of gold rings, not a chain of gold links. I think, I think I'd rather have a chest of gold rings than a chain of gold links. Because that means I can take anyone out that I need and I can use it and I can, you know, I don't, you know, I turn it into something else. I can, you know, a lot of people these days are taking at least part of maybe their future retirement and converting into things like gold or silver or platinum or whatever. And 
Gold is whatever it is, $1,700 an ounce. And, you know, and that's okay. That's, I can remember when I first started working, gold was about $400 an ounce, and that was about a monthly pay. That was probably about my monthly pay. And I don't know what my monthly pay is now, but I'd say on average, probably for most people, their monthly pay is, you know, if the country as a whole is probably about $1,700. And so it's kind of, you know, it kind of keeps pace with that. Now, there's, obviously, there's speculators and some people who, who say that next year gold is going to go to fifty, is going to go to $10,000 an ounce. Uh, yeah, who knows? That's not my point. My point is that David says this is worth more than that. And it's like a chest full of gold coins and you can take out a coin as you need a coin and it's never going to lose value. And it's always going to be worth the same no matter what the problem occurs because the more difficult the problem, the more it's going to be worth. It is, it is holy writ, rewritten in biblical emotions and biblical actions. That's what Psalm 119 is. Now, if you're unsaved, if you're not yet born again, if you're not a Christian, then um, like, we, you know, like we saw here, Psalm 1-2, and like we're seeing in, in these verses in Psalm 119, verse 60, 65 down, to the unsaved, the law is an enemy. To the legalistic believers, the law is a dictator. To the carnal Christian... Well, they see the law as a straitjacket, but to spiritual believers, the law is a handbook on human life. Why do I keep these things? Why do I do these things? Why do I see a moral standard there? Why do I feel like I have to obey it? No matter what my culture and my country and my society says, why have I got to go by what the Word of God says? Why do I need to follow that? Well, because everything else destroys your life. It is destructive of personality. And it is destructive of individuality. And it is destructive of your, of your ability to bless others and, and getting any blessing out of life or from God. It is destructive. So why wouldn't I follow it? It's a handbook for life and everything that living an abundant life means. So the theme of this psalm is blessed walking because happiness is possible in this life. You know, for me, counseling is not, but you know, what it's not, I mean, it doesn't fit my personality. I'm really an introvert. I'm, so it's not necessarily something I enjoy doing, but I don't mind doing counseling because to me it's like it's, well, what, there's nothing hard about this. There's kind of a limited universe of problems and issues. And, you know, there, there are basic, simple Bible principles and answers for all of these things. If, if you'll simply believe it enough to apply it and, and walk in it and do it. But what I do find sometimes when I'm counseling people, I have to give them assignments, give them an assignment to bring them along to where they need to be. So let's say I have someone who is uh, in recovery from addiction. 
and they've had some type of substance abuse. And so there are issues. Or uh, even if it is, you know, let's say they, they think it is something demonic. And there's something oppressing them, even, you know, even, you know, on occasion, uh, 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 rare occasions, but occasionally, uh, individuals say that they've had an apparition, seen something, something happened, all this. Okay, okay. Uh, What is that? I mean, the worst the devil can do to you is scare you because he can't take your life. So here's what you do. And I'll give them an assignment. Take Psalm 119. Okay, so, so I can't sleep. I got insomnia. All right. Whatever woke you up. Go to the kitchen table, get your Bible, get a notebook, take Psalm 119. Start going through Psalm 119 and writing down in that notebook every request that David makes. Every request out of Psalm 119. Now, if you're, you know, if, if, if middle of the night something woke you up, you need to go back to sleep and you can't, okay, do Psalm 119 until you get sleepy. And then, I mean, you don't have to finish the whole psalm. And you may need to go through it more than one time to find all of them, all the things. But, but take the time. Say, okay, and then you're sleepy. Okay, go back to bed. And you know what? Let's say even if it was demonic, you, you know, if it were that type of spiritual warfare issue, if your consistent response every single time that that oppression was brought on or that manifestation happened was that you got into Psalm 119, I guarantee you it would stop. Because devils are no more dumb than you and I are. And if your consistent response is to get in the Word of God, they will, steep, they, will, they will stop bothering you. They will go on to somebody else. Change my mind. Try it. See if it doesn't work. I mean, it's just one of those principles-ized things from the Bible, and it works absolutely every time. But it has to be your consistent response. You're going to get in the Word of God as a result of that thing happening. And okay, I'm going to do that. And if you do that, well, then, you know, pretty soon you're going to start enjoying it. And that's about the time that the devil's going to say, okay, I'm out. <laughs> this is not what I intended. This doesn't happen with everybody. I got to go on somebody else. And, and, and what you will find is that there are over 70 requests. I'm not going to tell you how many, because uh, that's just part of your therapy. If you want psychotherapy, do this. This is part of your therapy. You find them. But there are over 70 made by David in this psalm. So that's why I say this is a classical conversation on, on Scripture, because that would also be a good exercise for kids. You know, if they were of the, you know, old enough that they could go through the Bible on their own, do that. that you know, that would be kind of a neat exercise. And usually what I tell people is follow up on that. Once you've, you're sure you've isolated each request and you've written each one down, you're going to discover many of them are repeated more than once. So find the one that is repeated the most and put it at the top, and then the next most, and then the next most, and turn that into your prayer. Make your own prayer that's going to conform your heart to the heart of God, because that's what David is giving us in this psalm. The Word of God itself is mentioned in every single one of the 176 verses, except for verse 3, verse 90, verse 122, and verse 132. Huh, that's kind of interesting, and you know, we'll, I, we'll look at that and kind of comment on that as we get there. 
But the Word of God is mentioned in every single verse in one way or another except for those verses. So when, when I say that the Word of God will do the work, that means this psalm will enable your Christ-likeness. Understanding that Christ-likeness involves two things. It involves an increase in holiness, and it involves an increase in faithfulness in handling pressure and perils and persecution. I mean, we all like the meek and lowly Jesus. That is only this much of Christ-likeness. The real thing that makes you Christ-like is an increase in, you know, a progressive sanctification. An increase in holiness, meaning you are set apart to God's mission. Not, 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 Not that you're sinless. Holiness meant you were set apart for God to use. So, so okay, it's an increase in holiness, and, and it's an increase in faithfulness, in handling pressure and perils and persecution, because now you are involved in the sufferings that bring you into fellowship with Christ. Again, talking about Matthew Henry, that... Um, that commentator from the 1700s, if, and if you can, I mean, is that better than almost any modern commenta- commentaries you can get? So if you can find Matthew Henry, you're doing good. Uh, but in his account of the life and death of his father, Philip Henry, he says, once pressing the study of scriptures, my father advised us to take one verse of this psalm every morning to meditate upon And so go over this psalm twice each year. He said, this will cause you to fall in love with the rest of the scriptures. Well, amen. Hello, somebody. That's a great idea. I mean, we have a multiplicity of ways for you to get into the Word of God and get the Word of God in you this next year. Always I put into our prayer diary for every one of the six days of the week that we have a prayer panel... I always put in there a Bible reading plan that takes you through the entire Bible chronologically. So it takes you chronologically through the Word of God. So that's only three or four you know, chapters a day right there. Man, this is another cool exercise. Why don't, why don't you memorize one verse every day and, then you've, and do that so that you go through Psalm 119 twice in a year. Hey, you know what? There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. Why don't you read one chapter of Proverbs every day for a, mu- for a month or for each month throughout the year? Um, you know, 150 Psalms. Okay, read five Psalms a day and five Psalms and one Proverbs and you get through both of them in a month. You know, you may have to read Psalm 119 on a Sunday when you have more time between between games and at halftime and stuff like that. But um, th- this is a classical conversation on Scripture. And I want you to note all of the attributes of God revealed in the parallel characteristics about the Word of God, which are, are revealed in this psalm. In other words, just with having lifted out what we read in verses 65 to 72, you discover things like the, the Word of God is 
Gracious. Well, that's God. God is gracious. The Word of God is true. That's an attribute of God. God is true. The Word of God is righteous. Well, God is righteous. The Word of God is good. God is good. The Word of God is faithful. God's faithful. The Word of God is eternal. The Word of God is even light. And there's a verse in your Bible. God is light. So what does that prove? Well, that proves that the way that you treat the Word of God is also the way you treat the God of the Word. I mean, that's so high. We're so high on biblical authority here at this church. And that, I understand that's a minority of a minority opinion. Uh, you know, when you say, okay, I've got something in my language, and in in, I have in an English Bible, and I know which one, the very words of God in English. I mean, that's a really a minority opinion these days. Uh, you know, and I will say this, starting January 15th, is that when, when LFBI starts? So our institute starts January 15th. I will be teaching about biblical authority. We call, the, you know, the class, we call the class Manuscript Evidence. It's only eight weeks. But in eight weeks, if you ever had dad doubts about what exactly is the Word of God, can I, is it really, is what I have in English in that translation, is it really perfect? Is it this one? Well, how come it's this one and not that one? Or how come, how come it's not something else besides this one? And okay, what? Well, okay, we'll walk through all of that. Eight weeks, hour and a half classes. So it's a one credit hour class. If you're going to do it at all, you might as well take it for credit. I don't care who you are. If you apply, I will approve you. I mean, it's only $40 a credit hour. I mean, I graduated from Calvary. Go to Calvary. It's $400 a credit hour. And I think we do as good a job as they do. But, you know, that's just my opinion. But the way you treat the Word of God is the way you treat the God of the Word. And that explains everything you need to know about why we are in the Laodicean age, lukewarm age of church history right now. Why we are in the mess we are in in broader evangelical dumb as well as in Baptisthood itself. So there are ten terms used for the Word of God in this psalm, one for each of the Ten Commandments, I will say. And you can see that, I think we put that uh, somewhere here on your handout. Yes, on the back page of the handout. Uh, right there, we've got every one of them. We tell you how many times each one is used and kind of give you a basic uh, sidewalk definition of uh, each one of those things. So this is a lamp for you. Psalm 119 is a lamp that can be trusted to show you the way on the path. I would never do like what some people have done to go on a... Mexico vacation and go in a cave, 20 people in a cave, right? 20 people, 20 people on a 20-seat bus going 20 miles an hour because the road roads are so bad. Takes you an hour to go three miles to this cave. You go into this cave with two guides and there are only two flashlights, the two guides. 
They don't offer you a flashlight. They don't give you a flashlight. They don't offer you to say, look, $50, you can have your own flashlight. I would have, by that point, I would have paid that. There's no way I would trust someone else with my life in the middle of a cave. If you've ever been down to the Ozarks and, you know, they got the cave there at uh, Silver Dollar City. It used to be back in the day you could go through... Uh, what, what is the, what's the other thing? They take you through on Jeeps and stuff and fantastic caverns. And don't they take you like to some place and then shut off all the lights? I mean, that's like, that's the blackness of darkness. We never experience that. I mean, that's different from anything. That's like, you never want to be there. But, uh, so there is no way I would trust out of 20 people, two of them have flashlights. And like, like they're not both going to drop him in the water accidentally for some reason or another, or, or, you know, they forgot to put in fresh batteries or, or whatever. I would never do that. But Psalm 119 and the word of God, this is a lamp. It is, it can be trusted and whoever follows its light is going to be preserved from the droughts and saved from the dangers and led to an eternal destiny. That is why Psalm 119 is such a life balancer. It used to be that, you know, in our circles, the great, great argument was, well, evangelism or discipleship. And isn't discipleship really uh, against evangelism? Is it, is it evangelism? Do I, is it, you know, what should I be emphasizing? What should I be doing? Should, is it evangelism is the key or discipleship is the key? Well, Psalm 119, that's kind of the key. Well, is it God's sovereignty or free will? That's, you know, that's the discussion in a lot of churches, especially with Reformed theology and uh, you know, that type of movement, is it, is it God's sovereignty or is it human free will? Well, it's kind of Psalm 119. I mean, this psalm is going to kind of answer those things for you. Uh, is it Democrat or Republican? Well, I think it's Psalm 119. I'm just saying. Because practically, practically speaking, fellowship in God's word will bring the best friends into your life that you will ever have. If you could just start getting with people around an open Bible, you'd develop the best friends you're ever going to have in life. And, it, it, you know, it, 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 it will be the most significant factor in, in bringing change into your life. Uh, you will find and fulfill God's purpose, what He wants you to do. When, when you think you are down and out, the word can get you up and in. And God will get you high and inside. Uh, life is changeable, but God's word remains the same. It is stable. That means it is your only stability. A lot of us are Stoics. I'm a great Stoic. But I can't be my own stability. As much as I, you know, regardless how I may look on the outside, I cannot be my own stability. Stability is a significant factor in psychology. Stability is a significant factor in your children 
and their education and whether they act up or act out, stability is a huge factor psychologically and it is supportive of good mental health. As a matter of fact, anybody who doesn't have good mental health is probably unstable. Uh, The two kind of go together. This psalm is stability, what we're going to see as we go through it. So I want you to note, as we read and we study Psalm 119, we see David in a variety of life circumstances and life experiences, but his devotion to God and to the Word of God never changes. So, in the five minutes or four we've got left, um, go back to the beginning, Psalm 119, verse 1. And let me just let me just make some opening comments on that, and then I think we may even have to wait till next Sunday night, Lord willing, to get into start at verse one and start going through. But um, Psalm one nineteen, beginning verse one, these first eight verses, every verse in this section starts with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Now Hebrew letters are actually a pictograph. Some of our letters come from some of that. We don't necessarily say that our letters are a picture of something in themselves. But in the Hebrew, they do. So, um, Aleph, the pictograph representing Aleph, looks like an ox. Now, this particular representation on your slide, which probably is consistent with Uh, what you might see in your King James Bible is more of a modern modern Hebrew representation, Aleph. But the original Aleph, if you can think about the Toyota logo, the Toyota badge, because the Toyota badge is really an ox head. Have you ever noticed that? It kind of is. And it's kind of, you know, so Aleph in the ancient Hebrew would have been kind of a V with a kind of a smile through it, which were the two horns coming up on the side of the top of the head of the cow. So the cow's face is kind of V-shaped, and then, you know, they draw a smile on top of that, and it's kind of two horns on the side and and the top of the head, and that was an ox, and, and that was Aleph. And an ox has to do with the energy to accomplish service of some kind, get something done. So this first stanza is going to show us what will happen in the life of any person who will make the Word of God their center. Because if you will make the Word of God your center, it and God will handle your circumference. Okay, this is biblical physics, spiritual physics right here. If you make Christ the focus, he, let him handle the things on the periphery. Push to the periphery everything but Christ, and it'll all be okay. Because if you got him as the focus, the periphery will be taken care of. If you got the word of God at the center, the circumference will be taken care of. Therefore, that person will be happy. Because the Word of God rules in three areas of his life, in his way, in his walk, 
and in his will. Okay, there's a walk, that's a particular path. There's a way, which has to do with how you are going down that path. And there is God's will. And, and the Word of God will rule in those three areas for you. So when I say make the Word of God the center, that's what we mean. It's going gonna, it's gonna to handle, you're going to follow in, in those three things. And so, Psalm 119 takes us from Aleph to Taw, or from A to Z, in the usefulness of the Word of God to do the work in our life. So my time is up. I thank you for yours. Go ahead and stand. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. As I want to make sure we don't go over time. And, you know, I always like to be cognizant of those who are working with our kids. Uh, Father, I thank you tonight, Lord. I thank you for what the Word of God brings to us and the excitement of what we can really see and how we can really use it as we go through Psalm 119 together. And I pray, Lord, that of those who are here, that our tribe might increase because, uh, Lord, this can be such a key thing in the life of so many people as we come out of 2021, which seemed to be worse than, in many respects, worse than 2020. Now we're going into such uncertainty in 2022, both as to health issues and things, and as to economic ones, none of us know what's going to happen. None of us can really tell if global warming is just happening, uh, small amounts, or, or if there's some type of line that's going to be crossed. And we're not going to see major things that are going to affect major areas for major amounts of money and, and killing major number of people. And we've just got all this to deal with. Nobody knows what Russia's going to do in Ukraine. And no one in here knows what NATO will do in response. No one knew in, in August of 1914 that World War I was actually going to start. Nobody understood that. God, you have... You have our life on a hook, and you're, you, you can draw us exactly where you want us. God, all we want to do is we want to be in your way, in your w- way, doing your walk through your will. And we know we can have that if we just hang together, stick together in your word, and let the word of God do the work. And Lord, may many others get in here with us who need this, because they suffer from the instability of our times. And Lord, they need stability in their life. We ask these things, Lord, not because we're worthy, but because Jesus died to produce it for us, and we give glory to him. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.